church different. If you are new to this church, you are here on the right Sunday because every August, September-ish, and every January, February-ish, we do a series that is all about the vision and mission of Shorewood Church of God. So if you've come here between March and now, you haven't got this kind of information at all. So what we're going to be all about for the next few weeks is what is Shoreward Church of God about? Where are we going? What are we doing about it? And uh, how are we going to get there? So buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. All right. Um, we are different. You have a different pastor. You're aware. Uh, <laughs> you have a different worship leader. You're aware of that as well. Um, uh, Jimmy and I today are, are celebrating our seventh year Facebook anniversary. Uh, <laughs> cards and flowers are appreciated. Uh, it was funny. I had no idea. Facebook told me that, I was, that we had an anniversary today. Uh, we've been doing ministry together for a long time now. It's been great. Uh, this was funny. Anyway, we are different. Uh, anyone who walks into this building probably recognizes that quite quickly. We've changed a few things around here. We don't really look like we do on the outside. Um, we're, we're, just, we're just different in the way we go about uh, things. And I want that to be kind of one of our identifying markers. This is it's church, a little different. Not the same old, same old, not the way it's always been done. Um, and that's kind of how I'm wired anyway. You may have noticed that if you've been here for <laughs> for a while. Uh, we had a three-day meeting this week. I took Kevin and Jimmy uh, away for a retreat this, this, uh, this week, and we worked. And we had a three-day, basically non-stop meeting, except when we uh, slept. We worked while we ate. We worked while we woke up and got our coffee. We, we worked all the time because what we were doing was dreaming about where we want to go and how God's going to get us there for this church. And that we actually found out that we needed a couple more days because there was so much stuff that God was trying to impart into us as we discovered and as we developed and as we, we chased after all of that in those three days. And it was a very timely time to do that right before uh, this, this series. Uh, they have some goals that as their leader they want that I'm supposed to hold them accountable to. And there's some crazy audacious goals. Just what they want out of this church, it was really exciting just to see the staff want that. Um, not just uh, crazy Jared uh, wanting for this church. We want to be different. And what does that look like for us? Well, our mission here at the church is to reach, grow, and serve the community for Christ. Now, if you go to any other church in this community, you're probably going to find some derivative of that mission statement uh, somewhere else. So that's not really different. But I want to do church different to people who, who come in for, for the first time, that we come in contact with at RQ for the first time, that we bump into at Line and Mariano's for the first time, that they go, huh, something is different about those people. That's what I mean. We're going to all probably, if you study the scripture, you're going to have the same mission because that's what God told us to do, to reach, grow, and serve the World, so we've just boiled it down. We're not going to go for the whole world. We're just going to go for Shorewood, Plainfield, Joliet area. That's big enough for, I think, us uh, right now. Um, hopefully, just baby steps. Okay, don't get too excited there, Paul. It's, yeah, that's where we're going. This is the filter for everything that we do here at the church. Does it reach? Does it grow? Does it serve? 
If it doesn't do one of those things, it's really easy to say we're not going to do it anymore. In fact, the elder's job description is this. To when I come to an elder meeting, like this past Thursday night, and we say, this is what we're going to do in the next few weeks. Their job is to say, uh, is that Reach, Grow, Surf? No? Why are we doing that, Jared? And they'll hold me back. That's, that's what they do. They parse it back for, for to help me with that. And so we, we concentrate very, very heavily on are we reaching, are we growing, and are we serving the community for Christ? That is who we are. This is our mission. I have a personal vision for my life of what I want to do. And at the end of the day, I, mean, I want to be a fantastic husband, a fantastic uh, father. But when it comes to my, as part of that, coming to who I am in Christ, I want to be a cultural architect. And that might be a, that's just what I think about because it's, that'd be fun. But a cultural architect, someone who kind of starts change in culture. And, I, and that's how I, I just kind of think through all the things uh, that we do here at the church. And, and if we do view that through Roots Grow Serve, what does that mean for Shorewood Church of God? What does that mean for Shorewood proper? What does that mean for us? If we were to actually change the community's culture for Christ, that's a huge, tall order. But it's one, I think, here at the church that we are called for. It's one that we must do. The dream of this church is to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. The dream of this church is to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Now, there's a definite difference between the two. You'll find that out clearly in January, right? There's a huge difference. And so far too long, I think, in culture, the churches have become thermometers. Oh, that's bad. Okay, what are you going to do about it? That's wrong. That's an issue. Thank you for identifying those issues. That's helpful and viable. But a thermostat actually enacts change. He's drawing the distinction there. If we are a thermostat of culture in Shorewood, we are enacting change. You're keenly aware of the thermostat in here. You might wonder when you walk in here at 10 o'clock why it's so dang cold in here. That's because now you're waving things around going, I'm too hot, right? You add people to it, and the temperature changes. That's why the thermostat is religiously guarded. People come in here all the time at 945 and turn the the air conditioner off. They do it. And Kevin goes around and turns it right back on. And so there's this little, like, cartoon thing going of different people coming in from the lobby, turning it off, and we do it. Don't touch the the thermostat. You got it on videotape and everything. Stop it. That's because at 9.10, it has to be 64 degrees in here. So at 10.10, it'll be 74 degrees in here. That's the way it just works because you all put off a lot of hot air. (laughs) Take that how you will. How do we do that? How do we start to become a thermostat instead of a thermometer? First, our church will bring Christ's love into people's lives. Our church, this church, will bring the love of Christ into people's lives. That's how we start this initiation of raising the temperature or lower, however you want to think of positive. Usually when I think of here, we always want to raise the temperature. But how we change that, how we affect change in that is to bring Christ's love into people's lives. 
We start here, can really just end here. Because this changes everything. As we've even taken communion today, the very nature of communion is this radical, life-altering change. If I once was this, Christ's love and body broken for me does this, and now I am different. We want as many people as we possibly can to experience that radical, eternity-changing love. Second, our church will develop people into disciples of Christ. Our church will develop people into disciples of Christ. We have a lot of, in America in general, we have a lot of followers of Christ, but not necessarily disciples of Christ. There's a major difference between the two. Jesus dealt with this. Jesus, everywhere he went, he had crowds of people, thousands of people following him around, listening to him talk. But at the end of the day, he's got 72, 124, whatever, depending on which gospel you're reading, actual disciples. Now you think, oh, he had 12. Those are apostles. You got bigger, okay? Disciple is someone who said, I have committed my life to this teacher, and I'm going to be as much like him as I possibly can. Rabbis all over the ancient world had disciples. And basically, they would come to the disciple and say, I'm going to follow you around. It'd be very annoying to have a bunch of teenage boys following you around everywhere you go, because that's what, what it was. But they, they, would, they would do that. And so these, these crowds of people would just follow everything. In fact, there's stories of it going a little too far, and that the disciples would actually, not for Jesus's, but another rabbi, would follow their rabbi into the bathroom to see how he conducted his life in the bathroom, because they wanted to know every intimate detail of how this guy lived his life. It's a little far. Don't be following me in the bathroom. <laughs> but that's what a disciple is becoming like someone. And all of us as, a grow, as growing in, in, in our Christianity need to be developing into disciples of Christ, not just followers of him. A follower is a thermometer. A disciple is a thermostat. See the difference? Thirdly, we will serve the community with Christ's love. We will serve the community with Christ's love. We will serve the community with Christ's love. Amen. We will serve the community with Christ's love. That means going outside our walls and infecting change wherever that may be. We do that in a few places now, and we're looking at expanding that in the future and just doing it better in the future. But these are the ways in which that we will become thermostats instead of a thermometer. There's a church in Acts. It's not necessarily even a church yet. It's just a collection of believers called The Way that starts to affect serious culture change and it disrupts the whole socioeconomic platform which the city runs on. It's a church or the, the gathering of believers in Ephesus. It's found in Acts chapter 19. If you need a Bible, there's one underneath you, or feel free to download version on your phone, and there's free every translation of the Bible right there and within about 30 seconds. Acts chapter 19, this church in Ephesus. What's going on here in Ephesus is that there is... Um, Ephesus houses one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. 
This is one of the History Channel does a write up on it. It was destroyed later, about 500 AD. But it's this wonderful, beautiful, grandiose temple to this god Artemis. And Artemis is a fertility god. And so anytime you read in the scripture, you hear about fertility god or goddess, you need to think two things, or one thing mainly deviant sexual behavior, which becomes really, really popular for some reason. Not in our society, but only theirs, right? And so there's this sex cult thing built up around the way this uh, temple is operated there in Ephesus. And it starts to permeate everything um, that they do. Because as we know in our present day, sex permeates all the decisions, everything that goes on. And so this temple is running these different kinds of brothels and different kinds of things as acts of worship towards this uh, goddess, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and more money comes in, and more money comes in, and that is what they're known for. And that is what they do, and all the money and the, everything is channeled through that. We're not talking about a town of 20,000 people. Ephesus, by some estimations, is about 200,000 people in ancient times. Rome itself is between 200 and 400,000 people. So this is one of the biggest cities in the empire. It is the jewel of Asia, of Turkey area. And what it is known for is this fertility rites and this fertility goddess. The scene set up for you, understand what's going on. And so this group of believers steps in and this is what happens. Verse 17, when they became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So we're talking a lot of money. Basically, these guys that had been using these, these scrolls basically have just gibberish on them. There's still some of them exist um, in the British Museum in London, but and the, the, the translators are trying to understand them, and they, they're just, just weird things. But they were used for different weird um, pagan rites going on back then. But they were worth a lot of money, because if you could convince somebody they were a special spell, of course you can... You can charge more money for it. So they're worth, these scrolls are worth, worth lots of money. And so many people are getting saved. So many people are repenting from their, uh, from their past and, and the habits that they're in that they, they go, you know what? I need to get away from this. They go grab these valuable representations of their pagan lifestyle and burn them. Whenever someone is willing to part with something of value because of life change, you know something is happening, right? This is a this is like it was really really popular for me when I was in uh, in high school that you would take your coveted CD collection at youth camp and you would even you would burn those. I never felt the Lord tell me to do that, but there was a lot of people, uh, a lot of people that that uh, that would do that, and it was like whoa. Maybe I wasn't a good enough Christian as a seventeen. In fact, I know I wasn't a good enough Christian as a seventeen, uh, but. But you have, uh, you have this same kind of thing as, oh, well, I'm not going to listen to 
you know, nine inch nails anymore. And then you have this, you have this uh, repentance going on. This is kind of the same thing that's going on here. Does that make sense? But when you see that socioeconomic go, wait a minute, the way everything's going right now, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Remember, this is a whole city based upon deviant behavior. And now you have a segment willing to sacrifice large amounts of money. Something is shifting here. Does, Does that make sense? The way, or the Christians, are becoming thermostats instead of thermometers. Let's go on, verse 23. About this time arose a great disturbance about the way. Christians. A silversmith named Demetrius was made, sorry, who made silver shrines to Artemis brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers and related trades and said, You know, my friends, we will receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that of the temple of the great goddess Artemis, who will be discredited. The goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So he appeals to them, basically the union boss gathers all the unions around and says, we can't have this anymore. Let's go. Hoffa grabs the Teamsters and says, let's go do something about this. This is what's going on. Set the stage for you. This is what happens here. And so now you have this huge kind of mob scene where they're trying to arrest and actually stone or, or just behead the Christians because why? They're changing. Not because they're talking about Christ. They don't really care. But once it starts to affect their pocketbook, things get real very quickly. When they become thermostats, the, the very nature of the city is in starting to change. It's very just mind-blowing to me that a group of, of citizens, a group of, of people, sharing the love of God, change one of the biggest cities in the world. This is about the equivalent in Roman Empire history to a group of Christians stepping out in faith and changing the city of Chicago. I make a a comparison sometimes to the Roman Empire and the United States of America. Ephesus is one of the second or third largest city in the Roman Empire. Chicago is the second or third largest city in the United States. Isn't that amazing? To think of what a a group of committed uh, followers of Christ are capable of doing. They're changing the very fabric of what Ephesus is made of. And all they're doing, they don't have this grandiose plan, is sharing the love of Christ. And the response from that is changing everything. That's who I want us to kind of emulate. We're going to go through this series. We're going to talk about different kind of churches, all found out in Scripture, and and show how they did things differently and how it started to affect change. So for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be about. The dream for this church is that we will be a thermostat, not a thermometer of culture. There's one thing. Thermometers don't take much energy. Have you ever changed the battery on a thermometer? Probably not. Right? You can go to, I used to live in an old farmhouse that was built uh, right after the Civil War. 
It was actually land granted to the family from the Lewis and Clark expedition in Vincennes. That's how old this farmstead was. Um, and we, uh, I proposed to Kelly at that house, actually, but you don't care. Um, there is a, an ancient thermometer, like ancient, turn-of-the-century type ancient thermometer there. Never had to change the batteries. Always was accurate. Right? It's, it was always there. And, and, oh, okay. But I never really worried about it. Never really paid that much attention to it. But if that thermostat would have been from 1890, I would probably had a problem when it became winter in the farmhouse. Right? You become very aware when the batteries are out of your thermostat. Thermostats require a whole bunch of energy when they start to affect change. When we burn the most gas, when we burn the, or use the most electricity, is when you hear that, all right? All that gas just went up in flame because it takes a whole bunch of latent energy to become forward momentum energy in changing the actual temperature of a room. This is kind of played on my head. It takes more money. We were looking at the bills of our heating bills here at the church. We've done a lot to become more efficient lately. But it takes, what months are it? It's the, month, the months when we, we switch and have to put way more energy or the, 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 the temperature outside goes up and down and up and down and up and down because now we're running the, the heater. Now we're not running the heater. Now we are running the heater. Now we're not running the heater. And you just ching, 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 you can hear it. It's the same thing, but for culture, don't miss this. If we're going to start to affect change in culture, it takes a great investment of ourselves. How do we do that? How do we get this energy? How do we step into that? The first step, I think, probably the most important, is to pray fervently. I naturally come with a large repertoire of energy. God has given me, Vaughn is laughing at me right now. I naturally come with some energy. If you know my mother, if you've met her here, she's back in the back uh, uh, teaching the uh, kindergarten and first graders today. She naturally comes with a lot of energy. There's a lot of energy in that five foot one package right there. But that only goes so far. When you're praying and the Holy Spirit infills you, you have now limitless energy and power. In fact, that's what uh, Jesus tells them to do. You will pray and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. You will be filled with that. And that is what we have to concentrate on here. If we're going to affect any change, we can't do it just Jared by a force of will or by Jimmy or any of us in here, even as a group of believers, but we have to have the Holy Spirit's power. And the way in which to step into that is to pray to actively spend time seeking God's face, asking him to empower us and to equip us. The second thing to do is to invite people to join with you. What we talked about earlier today is when, and when the service and the doors are open and all you've come in, the temperature changes. If we don't have enough people here on Sunday morning, it stays cold, right? But when there's more and more actual bodies in the room, the energy in the room changes. When there's more bodies in the room, the temperature changes faster. 
Apparently, Satan does not want me to talk about these things. We, the, fire, the fire department's going to go off here in a second, too. Probably. Uh, the temperature in the room changes. We invite people to join with us, and we invite them to join with us, and not only just coming to the church, but to join with us in the mission of the church. There's more bodies going towards it. There's going to be more uh, potential energy for it. Second thing, go to, or third thing, go to grow. Who is grow for? Anyone who has any questions about the church, about God, or themselves. If you have all three of those figured out, you do not have to go to grow. I don't know anybody that has all three of those things figured out. So everyone should participate in grow. We have someone going through grow right now that's been in the church their whole life. And the first thing she said after it was over was, I learned something today. Hoorah. See, it's for everyone. Come to grow Wednesday nights. Because grow is specifically geared into starting to answer the questions, who are you in Christ? How has God specifically made you to be effective in this community? That's what it's all about. So if we're going to become actual disciples of God, we have to figure out what that looks like for us. So come to grow. Third, pick a life group. Pick a life group. That is launching uh, today. The sign-ups for that right underneath the TV. Pick a life group because we can't do this by ourselves. When we are in community with each other, I know I am missing my men's Monday night group. We laugh a whole bunch, but we also dive into the scripture and we share. It's not, it is, we keep it very war-based. So there's like not a lot of emotional you know, blubbering going on. So guys, you're, you're, you're okay. Uh, but, but if we're not talking about somebody getting their head chopped off, it's not a good Monday night. Okay. That's, that's just how we do it. And that's how, how we go at it. But we're investing in the scripture and then we invest in each other. We kind of sneakily care about each other. And that's how that goes on and on on Monday nights. I'm, I'm excited about that. I know the women probably don't talk about war every week, but they, uh, they are investing in each other as well. Pick a life group, sign up for that, get involved with that. And then finally, join a serving opportunity. We have several serving opportunities getting ready to happen. Uh, we're, <clears throat> we have some things going on with the Hope Box that's going to be changing soon that you can get involved with. You can, uh, we're going to have uh, this. I'm really excited about this. Operation Christmas Child, which this church has been a part of for years and years and years. This year, we're actually going to be a packing place. And so we're going to change the whole sanctuary into an assembly line of packing shoeboxes. And so AHG and us, um, all the AHG uh, kids from the week are going to be here as well in, in Trail Life. And uh, our whole church will be participating in this. And so instead of just packing one box for yourself, if you hit a sale, you buy 500 pencils or whatever. You, you just go for it. And then everyone's going to do that. And then we're going to come on Saturday, on Halloween morning, actual Halloween morning, and pack uh, these boxes that will go overseas and actually affect kids. Uh, and I know, I know kids who have been um, uh, adopted from Latvia, and they've come over and said, I got one of those boxes. And that t- ch- changes everything when you start to see people and know people that like they were actually affected by this little box that was given. And so we're going to be a part of that. That Christmas time is a great time to volunteer around here. We partner with Salvation Army and give all kinds of things and turkeys and hams and, and to families and needs. So that's on this semester, different ways to get uh, served, uh, especially in the Salvation Army thing. If you speak Spanish, you are in hot commodity because we would love uh, to have more uh, help in that aspect because it, it just it's needed. Um, 
There we go. Join a serving opportunity. Because we can talk about it in here. We can deal with it in here. And we're like, oh, I'm, I'm just working on it. I'm working on it. working on it. But that is very thermometer behavior. I'm just doing that. But a thermostat is actually affecting change. At some point, we have to go and do something about it. Join a serving opportunity. So I have some questions for you as we conclude today and I get you to the Bears game. What does it mean for you to participate in the mission of the church? What does it mean for you to participate in the mission of the church? Is that something that that you just watch happen? The reaching, the growing, and the serving? Or is that something that you are going to choose to participate into? Because if you're going to be a person who calls this church home, being a thermometer is not as valuable as being a thermostat. What does reaching people mean to you? What will you do in that aspect? Every day you come in contact with people, whether you know it or not, or like it or not. We come in contact with people all the time. There's opportunities all the time. I have thousands of invite cards that I'm more than willing to part with. That we should always be ready for the opportunity to say, you know what? You should come to church with me on Sunday morning. I don't know you. That's okay. Here's a map on the back. Got great things for your kids. We were talking about it this week. Everything around here is geared toward the kids' ministry. It might not necessarily reflect it in the budget numbers, but everything is geared towards the kids. We do this excellently, so you'll give us our kids, your kids in the back, that you're not worrying about them. We provide check-in and security for them because we want them to be in a safe, wonderful environment. We, we train our leaders to be the best leaders they possibly can because we care about those kids and we care about their future. We give them the best youth space I've ever seen downstairs because we care intimately about your kids. Everything we do is for them. And you get the byproduct in ministries. You get me. What will you do when it means to reaching people? What does growing as a disciple mean to you? What are the steps you need to take? Maybe you haven't stepped into scripture reading. Maybe you, you, your Bible's got an inch of dust on it, and you need to step into that. In Georgia, it's real easy to figure out if somebody hasn't been reading the Bible, there's yellow pollen on top of it. What would your Bible look like if it was in Georgia? Have you engaged in the grow? Have you engaged in life groups? Maybe this is the first semester that you can sign up for that and step into that because we want to take you from where you're at to where God wants you to be. If we're going to affect community life change, if we're going to be thermostats of culture in Shorewood Shorewood area, that means everyone is on mission for God. This is a huge, huge undertaking, a huge idea. It's a drastic different way of doing church, doing life. But in five to ten years from now, I want the prevailing thought in this community is, I don't know how life goes on without this church. That instead of becoming a 
almost a societal wart on Shorewood would become a heartbeat for Shorewood. And far too often all over the country, I think churches are just getting pushed to the side, pushed to the side as an add-on, as an appendage, as something, eh, it's kind of useful. It's a tax break for me. But it's something that controls the heartbeat of the culture of an area. We have a very unique position. We have a very unique time that we can be in for us. Joliet, if you ask anybody outside of here or anybody from the city, what they're known for is casinos and a theater who can't get their sign together. I want to be known for something else. I want it to be a place of revival, a place of that God is moving here. We don't really quite understand it, but something is different about that place. I hope you can join with me. I hope you can dream with me as we become thermostats instead of thermometers. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for the, these people in this room. God, that we come in contact with you. We know that you are not satisfied leaving us where we are at, but you have a dream and a hope and a future for us, something that affects culture, affects change, that you will not leave us where we are, that you want to push us to somewhere else, that just sitting in the seats is not enough anymore. But being a disciple and a follower and a chaser of you is what you've called us to be. God, we want to be effective in this place. God, would you place a burden on our hearts, a burden for change, a burden for the people that we see? Would you remove scales from our eyes so we see the heartbreak around us? Instead of a a long line at Mariano's, we see an opportunity at Mariano's. Instead of frustration at RQ, we see people who desperately need you. God, will you give us boldness? Will you give us wisdom? Will you give us courage? Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.